the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Welcome. Thanks for coming along for the, um, the uh, what, Reformation Day, Halloween Day edition of The Ride Home. Right. Mm-hmm. Very nice, Kath. Mm-hmm. Uh, you yourself, festive for the occasion. Thank you. Uh, Kath and both Lex, the uh, co-host and the producer, they themselves are in costumes. Yes. Mm-hmm. You are wearing a, a an an aqua blue um, onesie uh-huh. with um, these. Oh, they're called tentacles, John. That's tentacles. What octopi have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you're a, you're what? I'm an octopus, John. Mm-hmm. An octopus. I mean, I can't. Were you like? Were you unsure I when kind one of, of when my eight tentacles walked by? I thought you may have been a dragon. Well, no. Maybe something. Here's like that. the thing. If I was in water, you could see the tentacles. Right. That's a little. I'm. I'm a little. I'm a little bit of a disadvantage being right. in air. Right, because they just they're hanging down. Yeah. If they were in water, they'd be floating. Right. Uh, there's a little. Um, you're wearing a hoodie mm-hmm. with some eyeballs up there. Yeah. And uh, it's a zipper front. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. and I do have mittens that that so that I can yeah. uh, keep my fingers hidden so mm-hmm. that you're not thrown off. Right. In thinking that I'm a human dressed as an octopus. I mean, I appreciate your commitment to this because you Thank do you. this every year, every mm-hmm. year. And then, of course, this year, the first time our producer has uh, shown up here. And thank goodness. First time ever. Now, in our past, our producers have refused to do this Now, as well. listen. Now, Mike Duffy did mm-hmm. dress up one year. Oh, was he yes, Mario? Yes, he did. He was oh, Super right. Mario he Brother. Was. That's right. He was. Um, so, Lexi, I want to salute your medieval princess idea that you've got going. Mm-hmm. Thank you. With a crown. With a crown. Complete with a crown. Yeah. And I want to say that you, John, are dressed as nothing. I'm dressed as John Hall. Which is just dull. It's fine. It's No, I, I, this is a day where I'm proud to be dull. Mm-hmm. I don't need to go prancing about in a little costume. It's not prancing it about. Is. It's embracing the lighter <laughs> side of your I get personality. It. I mean, I'm lighter. You know are, that. Are you lighter? Well, I can be mm-hmm. very light, yes. Not on a day like today. Not on You're today. very dark no, indeed. I just, you know. It's kind of the same way I feel about sports jerseys. Yeah, is it? Your, it is. Yeah, when you look at me, you're slightly. Uh, you're. It's like cringy. A little. I. Mm. I knew it was coming today. Like I saw Lexi today. I avoided her at all costs because you didn't even want to. You didn't want to. Like, I didn't want to comment. I didn't want to say anything. Mike, uh, our old producer, said, "Hey, have you seen Lexi? She's all dressed." And I was like. No, I, I don't want. So I waited for you to be here, right? So the two of you together, so mm-hmm. I could take you both on at the same time. Yeah, which makes me sh- like I said, a little shy and a little nauseous. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot. I'm well, sorry. That's, that's just my reaction. We all make to our it. own choices, okay? John. But tonight, when the when uh, whenever it's in the evening and the yeah. sun sets, but then it would be okay. It'll be yeah. I think well, it would be. I well, think it would be. You know, I'm not taking your assumptions about the world on right. my own. <laughs> it's just something about. 
the daylight. Coming up on today's program, uh, Jay Slocum will be with us in the 5 o'clock hour uh, to talk about uh, reductionist thinking. A situation like the war in Israel, I mean, everybody's got a one-line statement right. on what— I'll boil it down to this but, thing. I mean, and it's just you can't boil a no, situation like that down to one thing. Any anyway, we'll talk about that. Um, also, Daniel Snoke will be with us. He is a musician, a coach, a worship leader in the Pittsburgh area, mm-hmm. and he's going to bring his guitar and, I hear, his harmonica Excellent. in to do some live music for us, and I'm really looking forward to that. Very nice. All right. And, uh, well, I guess even though it is Halloween or Reformation Day, uh, choosing where you are, uh, the world continues yes. to, to revolve, right? Yes. So without further ado, Kathy, in your news stories, please give us the top four at four. For Tuesday, October 31st, mm-hmm. 2023. It's a quick I, month. I think it's going to be hard for me to turn the pages with my right, mitts. Right. I think. So you okay. should, yeah, there you go. All right. Much better. Number one, FBI Director Chris Wray warned Congress today that Hamas's terrorist attacks on Israel could motivate threats similar to those posed by ISIS in years past. But he cautioned there's no indication Hamas itself tends to or has the capacity to conduct attacks here in the U.S. He said, quote, the reality is that the terrorism threat has been elevated throughout 2023, but the ongoing war in the Middle East has raised the threat of an attack against Americans in the U.S. to a whole nother level. He said it's time to be concerned. We are in a dangerous period. Also saying, though, that Americans should not alter their lives, but should be watchful. Quote, this is not a time for panic, he said, but it is a time for vigilance. That's from CBS News. Number two, General Motors has reached a tentative deal with the UAW to end their strike. GM and the union confirmed. GM joined Stellantis and Ford, which reached deals in the last week. The tentative agreements, which must be ratified by union members at each of the respective car makers, could end the strike against the big three that began last month. The at times contentious work stoppage thrust UAW President Sean Fain into the national spotlight, also drew support and like in-person support from the president. Remember when he was like right. picketing that day? First president ever to walk a picket line. That was weird. Mm, very. That's from ABC News. Number three. Pittsburgh's controversial, controversial is a nice way to put it, smart loading zone program is set to be revamped after some local residents and business owners expressed confusion and frustration over the new initiative. <laughs> Listen, people are out there like cussing, jumping, yelling. I mean, it's so dumb. Have you seen these purple things? No, these what purple are they? zones. Oh, these are these new purple zones. They're purple painted curbs and matching signs, and they're supposed to make it easier for delivery drivers to get in and out of parking Mm. spots outside of local businesses. That was the whole idea, and so they didn't want you lingering for too long. But the problem is business owners can't unload their own stuff. I see. So, and, like, if you work at a pizza shop and that's where the driver normally is, they put a purple curb right in front of the pizza place, like right in front of Minio's. On Murray Avenue in Squirrel Hill. What? Those guys are coming and going all day. Exactly. Yeah. And you get, uh, it started at $0.07 cents per minute for the first five minutes and then went up to $0.27 cents per minute for cars that parked between 30 and 60 minutes. And then if when you get caught, it's like an unbelievable really? amount. Anyway. Kudos to city government for their clarity. I mean, so finally, they are making some changes. If you want to see exactly what the changes are, you can look at today's trip. And number four, in Kenny Pickett's mind, no question about who will be starting a quarterback Thursday night for the Steelers. Despite missing the second half of the Steeler game, he says, quote, I'm playing for sure. And that's your top four at four. I was uh, otherwise engaged on Sunday, gratefully. 
that I did not have to watch that debacle. I watched every play of the you game. Did. I did, and it was a crying shame. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is not a good team. And you know what? I felt like the offense was just taking, and I wouldn't say, t- okay, let's not say taking off. I felt like they were actually starting to get somewhere mm-hmm. when he got hurt. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't look good. No. They don't look good at all. No. Right? Absolutely on not. On offense and good. or defense. No. So. Well, they look very good on defense, but the defense is out there too long. Forever. They're exhausted. They're so overutilized yep. at this point. It's just crazy. Yes. It's it's a historically bad time it for is. offense in Pittsburgh. It is safe to say that Steeler Nation is in turmoil, is it not? Exactly. I, I weep here in my octopus outfit. <laughs> we'll take a quick break as Kath weeps, and we do come back. We're going to speak to a Jewish woman, Michelle Van Loon, who's a regular guest on our show, about Israel and Hamas. What's going on from her perspective? Stay with us. It's Christian Talk. It's the ride home on Word FM. I don't know about you, but I check in with uh, online news sources regularly and sort of hold my breath before I click the button on to New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, or whatnot, because you see what's happening now, um, that Israel is diving deeper into Gaza, and uh, there is a lot of bloodshed. But uh, this is a full-scale war, I would say, at this point. Michelle Van Loon is with us. Michelle's a regular guest on our show. She's the author of six books, including a most recent, Translating Your Past, Finding Meaning in Family Ancestry, Genetic Clues, and Generational Trauma. And um, Michelle, thanks for coming along today. Hey, thanks for having me. Michelle, I just want to say how we've known you for a long time and we've been friends for years. And uh, I'm just I'm really sorry uh, for all that you're going through right now. Um, So maybe before we talk about the war, could you just kind of, I don't know, give us a little window into how you've been looking at things and feeling? Uh, Sure. Um, I am a Jewish follower of Jesus, a child of the Jesus movement of the late 60s and early 70s. And here I am 50 years later, still navigating the um, identity of being uh, an Ashkenazi Jew, which is Eastern European Jew, who loves her Jewish Messiah. And so um, it's complicated um, among my Jewish friends and the Jewish community, and it's complicated in the church sometimes. And I've kind of learned to live between both worlds. Um, And I'm not alone out there. There um, are more Jewish followers of Jesus right now in this world than there probably have been since the beginning of the second century end of the first century. Wow, that's cool. So, Michelle, uh, as a a Jewish person, what is your relationship to Israel? Well, my husband was on the board that was of a ministry, a discipleship ministry that was based in Jerusalem. Um, He was on that board for 10 years. And so we had the opportunity to go back and forth from about 2007, 2008 through 2018. We we moved and then COVID happened. So we have not been able to return, but we were planning on returning finally, finally on October 8th. Hmm. 
And then October 7th happened. Mm -hmm. I was planning on packing all day on the 7th. Um, we had friends that were going with us and we woke up to um, giant headlines and um, alarming text messages and a phone call from a friend of mine in Jerusalem who started the call with, don't come as I could hear the air raid sirens going off in the background at her house. This is different, she said. And it has proven to be different, hasn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, the seven-day war is one thing, but the horrors and the atrocities perpetrated uh, by mm -hmm. Hamas on the Jewish people in Israel, uh, you, you just couldn't wrap your head around it. So now... Israel's taken their time, and they have struck back. Oh. This, of course, is deeply political. Um, I don't know how you navigate through oh. this because there is um, there's an awful lot going on here to to try to wade yourself through. But Michelle, because you are of Jewish oh, descent, talk about my that. My connection with you guys is not great today. Oh, it's not. Um, I I just lost you. Um, can you hear me? Yes, no, we can. We can hear you. Can you hear us? You can't hear us. Okay. All right. Well, maybe we'll have to say goodbye to Michelle and talk to her at a later. Oh, now I hear oh, you. Oh, okay. good. Great. All right. Let's let's hope the connection holds. Okay. okay. All right, Michelle. I'm so sorry. I, no, no. I don't that, know why. It's just technology. All my bars and all my signal, but um, yeah. yeah okay. So John was just asking you, Michelle, about um, you being uh, of Jewish ancestry and just the, I don't know, the difference in how you're looking at this than how John and I are looking at it. Well. Um, I've been alarmed over the last few years with the rise of anti-Semitism um, that I've seen more on the, the political right in the United States. But the last few weeks since the war broke out, the rise in anti-Semitism on the left um, with people marching in the streets and yelling from the river to the sea, meaning... Um, Jews need to be pushed into the Mediterranean and cleared of the land of Israel. And all of the, uh, there's been so many terrible incidences of anti-Semitic expression um, in all kinds of college campuses, in marches, um, in Turkey, signs are going up in Europe, um, Jews not allowed in stores. Uh, a plane was swarmed in Russia um, that had flown in from Israel and people were screaming for Jewish blood. Hmm. So the rise in anti-Semitism is um, an existential shock, deeply <sighs> concerning terror. Yes. And, and so is, is, are you afraid about that yourself? Yes. Okay. I'm not, I, I mean, I, it would be great if I could whip up some, some um spiritual platitudes about yeah, that you, don't I, have you know to, yeah. god is in control this yeah. is true that that is all true yeah. he holds the story in our hands in his hands he holds that that experience but it is scary right now sure um and i look pretty ethnically jewish if people have kind of um an, an image of what a Jewish person might look like. I certainly fit that profile. 
I've had people stop me and ask me where I'm from and what my ethnicity is over the last couple of years um, since we've moved to Florida anyway. Um, and I, it's, it is very concerning. I bet. So my message right now, um, and I spoke to a Bible study group this morning about this also, is to encourage the people who love the book, my my Christian brothers and sisters in faith, my Gentile believing friends, to um, be able to not um, kind of treat this like, I'll, I'll just be quiet. I'm not sure what's going on. I don't know what to say. Um, there are some simple things that you can do that would be extremely helpful in this hour. And that yeah. is to check in on your Jewish friends and neighbors um, and find out how they are. Not saying anything communicates maybe that you don't care or that you aren't concerned for them. Um, I would also say if if you have Muslim friends, uh, the, the same applies. Be a good neighbor. Be a golden rule neighbor to the people around you who are in the crosshairs of uh, of war and a rise in terrorism worldwide. Mm -hmm. And also try to avoid both sides talk. Um, you might not agree with the military and political decisions that are being made on this side or that side, but um, the people in Israel woke up the morning of October 7th and terrible barbaric acts happened with no warning to civilians. They weren't combatants. They were people eating breakfast um, or listening to music outside at the end of the, the Jewish holidays. Um, so be wise in what you say. Be wise. Try and um, it's, it's uncomfortable to get informed, it, especially if it feels like you're standing in front of an open fire hose full of news and opinion and it's hard to sort out what's going on but um use discernment be wise and um be gentle and gracious right now um and pray michelle you and i are probably similar in age and i'm, I'm not jewish but to think about the Holocaust, and of course, we grew up with never again, never again, never again. Yeah. And to see the rise of anti-Semitism, to me, even you know, from outside the Jewish life, it is shocking to see where we are right now. And I keep on going back to this. Uh, the Worldwide, there are some 16.5 million Jews in this world of a worldwide population of more than 8 billion people. And still, we are focused on this world once again on Jewish eradication. It just baffles me. It, it's the oldest racism um, the po the world population of Jewry, 0.2% of the world's population, um, has not come back to the number, the 1939 number um, of Jews in the world after the Holocaust. When you kill 6 million people in a short span of time, even with never again and people marrying and having babies and joining in the baby boom, to be able to um, continue 
um, you know, the story of the Jewish people, God is not done. He has not forgotten his promise. It holds eternally to his people. And that should be a comfort and a strength to all of us who, who love the son, the mm -hmm. Messiah, and whether we are part of the original tree or the grafted in um, community of Gentiles that's come into this family. Um, you know, Jewish people right now need to know who is for them and who cares about them, not necessarily about the politics, but who is, who is their neighbor, really. That's good, Michelle. Thank you. Yeah. We Mich are praying for you. Yeah, and you have to know that we love you and that we stand with you and that you've been on our minds and um, that I, I, I can't imagine what these days have been like for you. But uh, but please know, I hope it's some comfort that you have, you know, friends around the globe, but in particular right here in Pittsburgh. I I am grateful. And Pittsburgh's been through its own um, yeah. painful experience not that long ago. Yep. So everything that you can do to just keep reminding people to um, link arms and mm -hmm. to be there as support, that's what shining the light of Jesus looks like in this darkness right now. Amen and amen. Michelle Van Loon, thank author of six books. Thank you, Michelle. We stand with the Jewish people yeah. and uh, linking arms, mm -hmm. praying for peace but understanding the need for the Jewish state to defend itself against atrocities. There is a, a small restaurant in um, Georgia, and uh, just below the gratuity disclaimer, the Tacoka Restaurant, River, uh, the Tacoka Riverside Restaurant, uh, it reads this, adult surcharge for parents unable to parent. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. A Florida mom, Lindsay Lamb, who visited the restaurant with her family and, and four other families said, I remember thinking, no way this is real. She said that they had 11 kids ranging from three to eight-year-old uh, at their table. She said that she was actually surprised at how well-behaved they were during their meal, but the owner disagreed. When the owner approached their table after dessert, he pointed to the menu where it mentions the surcharge. At first, I thought he was going to compliment us and be like, hey, you won't be charged because your kids were so well behaved. But that was not the case. The owner informed Lindsay Lamb that the bill would have an additional $50 added due to the kids being, quote, too loud. Some of the adults had taken the kids outside after the meal, but the owner was still angry that the kids were running around outside. Uh, Laham said that the kids were quiet the whole time. He got in her face and told her they belonged in Burger King and not at his restaurant. Yikes. So you can go too far with limiting, like, kids should be seen and not heard. Right. I, I, I cannot possibly go along with no, that. No, of course not. However, but have you seen some of the crazy behavior that adults seem, like, completely unable to stop in their kids? In public places. It doesn't have to be a restaurant, but just if it's in a department store or right. if it's in Target or wherever. Right. It is true. Some people just refuse to allow their kids to just grow up. It's like they have no, they have like no awareness of what's going on. 
Well, you kind of want or, I mean, or feel like they can't control it. When I see that, when I see that, and you know, it's not you don't see it often, but you see it and you go, I got to get out of here. I know. I just walk in the opposite direction. So what? So that's a surcharge on people who don't show the ability to parent. Right. So your kid's a wild thing, and you're disrupting the entire Ooh. restaurant experience for everybody else. And, it, you know, say what you will, it's not cheap to go out for a meal anymore. That's for So sure. you've got a bunch of kids that are acting like coconuts, and the parents are cool with it. You know, they're scrolling on their phone or whatnot, and they go, okay, that's fine. So I don't know how that's enforceable. Right? I don't know either, but and I'm sure it could be challenged in some way. Sure it is. But the, the po- let's just take the point, yeah. which is, you control know, your kids. control your kids and be good patrons at a restaurant. Don't right. make yourself a nuisance. But 50 bucks is 50 bucks, isn't it? Holy smokes. That's an expensive burger. Listen, I took my daughter out for lunch last week. Yeah. For lunch. Just the two it of you? A, just the two of us. Yeah. It was, it was not a fancy place. Mm-hmm. It was a sit-down place, but it was not a fancy place. Yeah. It was $71. Mm-hmm. Just the two Including the tip. But Okay. Well, that's just it. I mean, you're leaving a 20% gratuity. That at least if it's a good... Yeah, yeah, sure. If it's a if it's a good waiter, I'm minimum twenty. What about um, the age of people who you know? I, I, what I'm reading is that uh, Gen Z are bad tippers, horrible tippers, How the worst have, tippers ever. What is that about? I don't. I mean, they're why like, is that? I, some of them say they they have never tipped in their life. I just read an article about this on Friday. Yeah, yeah, I saw it too. Uh, I, I've never tipped in my life and never plan to. Lex, please join us. Your tipping habits, please. My tipping habits are phenomenal, I excellent, think. Excellent, uh, excellent. Well, so if I'm at a sit-down restaurant and yep. there's someone waiting on me, or if I'm ordering from a restaurant, the mi- the minimum is 20% more if they are good. More. Mm-hmm. I'll start at 20, and depending upon good or bad, it goes down or up. Uh, I always do minimum because um, as workers, like, I know that uh, restaurant workers, like a, a waitress or a waiter, um, they only make $2 an hour. Right. Um, and while it's annoying that I will have to supplement the rest of their um, wage, wage uh, they are, they're not the problem. It's the system itself. And so I'm not going to punish the waiter or waitress because I think the system should be changed. But it does add up, doesn't it? I mean, look. It does. If four people go out to dinner. It's expensive to eat out. It just is. Tip, it really is. And people will balk at the tip and go, there's no way I'm going to give somebody, you know, a $60 tip or whatnot. Because that could add up like to something like that very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reason why Gen Z is horrible tippers, quote yeah. unquote, is because a lot of people, a lot of my friends have said that it's almost fatiguing to see how many places who for a very long time did not ask for tips suddenly are now asking for tips that's that a, is you true. go to the dry cleaner mm-hmm. and it says right. would you like to tip and then I you think. feel guilty yeah right right and it's a ridiculous thing if you are making a decent amount of money or if you're commission-based um or i'm sorry if you are making a lot of money you have a set wage you really shouldn't be asking for tips no um, if you're a commission based and um, if your if your wage is cut because tips, you know, add up to your uh, add into your wage, then you know I like hairdressers, waiters and waitresses should be tipped. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Um, but it's an electronic yep. screen, so it's no skin off their nose. There's a screen in front of you. You can mm-hmm. either do it or not. Yeah. But you do feel a little pressure when it pops up. That's just exactly. how it is. Anyway, heaven help us. All right, keep those kids under control. Yeah, please. That's what we're getting at. <laughs> That's it, really, we are. Okay, we'll take a quick break, come back. Uh, we are just getting underway here in the ride home. Near death experiences. That's straight ahead on the ride home. A few weeks ago, 
we talked about this, about near-death experiences. Uh, I don't know anybody who's had this experience, but I am certainly curious about it, about people who are about to expire and then they come back. Well, we're happy to talk about this once more. Ken Samples, Kenneth Samples joins us. He's a philosopher, a theologian, a research scholar at Reasons to Believe, author of several books, including Christianity Cross-Examined. Kenneth, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Nice to be with you. Always a pleasure. Okay, Ken, when I think of near-death experiences, the first thing I think of is like being a kid. And I think I was, I think I saw Phil Donahue, who, you know, for those of you that are probably under the age of 40, you don't even know who that is. But uh, he had a a morning talk show, and I think he was interviewing someone who said that they had a near-death experience. And Hmm. so as a kid, I was just kind of half fascinated and half terrified. Yeah. Um, so w- what's your experience? What, what's your knowledge of it? And what's your experience? Yeah. What is it? it? Yeah. Let's, uh, there's been a lot of, in the last 45 years, there's been a lot of science and medical research gone into it. You can go to the international association for near death studies. Really? So this is a scientific, uh, analysis of this. Um, my first uh, encounter with this, um, you know, Raymond Moody was the famous physician that wrote a book, 1975, Life After Life, and that began a, you know, a number of books that came out about the phenomenon. Interestingly, from a personal standpoint, my oldest sister had scarlet fever when she was a child and it damaged her heart. She was in her, I would think, mid-30s, in the mid-70s. And uh, her heart stopped beating during a a doctor's examination. She left her body. She had an OBE, an out-of-body experience. She saw the doctor trying to resuscitate her. She had no no pulse. She wasn't breathing. Then she experienced going through a tunnel and seeing a light. And then almost instantaneously, she told me that she was then back in her body. Now, this was long before anybody was writing about this. So she told the family, and we were just like puzzled by it. But her experience is quite common with near-death experiences. In fact, the International Association of Near-Death Studies says maybe one in 10 people have near-death experiences. Now, they don't all have this, you know, complicated phenomena, but usually they are recognized as clinically dead, which means that it's possibly reversible. This is not, um, you know, biological death, which is irreversible. But they see their body. They may go through a tunnel. They may encounter a light in which they feel uh, perfect love and uh, acceptance, though some people have had kind of hellish experiences. In fact, let me tell you about one. Uh, In the 19... uh, 50s and 60s, there was a leading atheist named A.J. Ayer. He's kind of the Richard Dawkins of his day, okay. but even but even more brilliant. He choked on salmon, was dead for four minutes, encountered a, a red light, a being that communicated to him that he was not happy with his lifestyle. He was brought back into his body through resuscitation. He later said to a Catholic priest, he said, I do, I'm still not sure about God, but I do think I now know there's consciousness after death. Mm. So this is a fascinating phenomenon. There's a new movie out, After Death, 
that uh, has kind of a faith-based approach to the phenomenon. Mm. But it is, uh, it's a real experience. Not everybody agrees about how to evaluate it, but uh, it's touched a lot of different people. Interesting. So, Kenneth, this is not, do you think it is a physiological experience that somehow the body is shutting down so people share this same thing? I, I think, you know, one of the leading researchers in the field is a Christian, a, a man named Michael Sabom, who did a five-year study on this. Uh, he's, he, in my mind, he is one of the most credible people because he's, he's both Christian but also uh, a trained skeptical doctor. Um, he says that this may be the beginning of the death process. You know, there, it, you haven't reached an irreversible place, though there are people who say, no, I was really dead. Um, you know, the, the the question here, I think, is, is this consistent with kind of a Christian worldview, a Christian view of uh, death? I would say cautiously, and I underscore that word cautious. I think that this is some possible support. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Mm-hmm. We have a soul. Uh, there is at death the separation of the soul and the body. So I think some of this data is at least consistent, but again, I think we have to we have to remain skeptical. Uh, and yet, you can study this scientifically. You don't have to have any faith or religiosity. Uh, you just go right on there, and uh, there is a lot of data available about this. Dr. Kenneth Samples is with us. He's from Reasons to Believe. He's a philosopher, a theologian. He's a research scholar there, author of several books, including classic Christian thinkers. Um, So we got caught up in the story of um, a person maybe three or maybe four or five years ago, um, a child who had a a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. And we found out later on that it had been manufactured. Manufactured. For for monetary reasons. Right. so yeah, so give us your feedback on that. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you mentioned it, and and again, it, it there is the real importance here of checking sources, having the best reliable sources. I mean, people do all kinds of strange things in order to get attention or to get money or whatever it may be. I can tell you though, if you look at somebody like a Michael Sabom, S A B O M, he's a cardiologist, he's a real specialist. I think we need uh, skepticism. I think non-Christians should appreciate that Christians who are people of faith, nonetheless, are people who discern and are careful. And so I think if you look at the literature, some of it is very good. Some of it is not credible. But don't listen to me or to anybody else. Go on there and look at the scientific medical data that is available on the web. I mean, it is fascinating. I think that, you know, it attracts all sorts of people across all different stripes. I I want to believe this because, of course, I want to be in heaven with our Savior someday. So you hear other people's stories and you think, this is so cool. I mean, this is just, you know, the first launch, so to speak. So why wouldn't, you know, why would we not want to be part of this? It doesn't affect, though, my belief, right? And that's the key thing. I, I think that's I think that's right. You know, I... I think there's good evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, yes. and that's the reason I believe in immortality. But nonetheless, when you have scientific data, when you have medical data that seems to comport with this, this may be one more uh, piece of evidence. 
Um, I think the movie is very fascinating. It it talks to key, you know, the people describe their experiences. They interview a lot of doctors. Some affirm, some deny. Um, it probably doesn't have enough analysis, but I don't think that this movie after death wanted it to, to be a dry documentary. Sure. They wanted to provoke people. Hey, is there evidence for immortality? Is there evidence for God, for yeah. heaven? So, Ken, your sister a long time ago with his near-death experience, how did that inform or impact the rest of her life? Yeah, she was a Christian at the time. In fact, she gave me the book Mere Christianity that led to me considering the faith and becoming a Christian. She told me I don't have any fear of death. She said that uh, it changed her priorities in terms of don't sweat the small stuff, um, it, I saw I saw a change in her and my sister. Uh, she is not one to embellish. She, you know, she's a straight shooter. Um, and the interesting thing is, her experience is very common. Uh, that's described in in uh, a near death phenomena. Hmm. And I love that she was on the sort of front end of this. This wasn't something that she was like, yeah. oh yeah, I've heard these stories before and I'm very similar to that. This was before things like this were documented yeah, right. and talked about in popular culture. Yeah, I t- I've taught a philosophy course. I taught it for five years, Perspectives on Death and Dying. It's a philosoph- philosophical approach to the phenomenon of death. And we would talk about near-death experiences. College students never think they're going to die, but I told them, <laughs> wait till you see the final exam. Uh, <laughs> but, the, but, the, but the idea is, yeah, this was long before anybody was writing books or going on Phil Donahue or any of these programs. Yeah, I, that adds a lot of credibility in my mind to what my sister shared. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your approach to this, Ken. I appreciate that you're not, I think some Christians are like, oh, that's all made up because they don't feel like it comports with what they believe will happen. Mm -hmm. And that's silly. And then I also, you know, can't swing to the other side where, you know, you believe every story everybody tells. I think like a measured approach um, and being open to it, but also looking for evidence is important. So. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. The Apostle Paul says, test all things, test hold on to the good. Yeah. I'm into that. Ken, always a pleasure. Thanks for stopping by today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Thank you. We as well. Ken Samples. Kenneth Samples, a philosopher, a theologian, research scholar at Reasons to Believe, author of several books, including Christianity Cross-Examined, Classical Christian Thinkers, and God Among Sages. So, it's Halloween evening. Yep. Oh, uh, yep. Trick or treating in my neighborhood starts at six, mm-hmm. I believe. When you were a kid, who who went out with you? Um, I don't ever remember my parents going out with me. Oh, really? I remember going with my friends. It was always my dad's job. Okay. It was always my husband's job. Yeah, mine too. I loved it. Yeah, because I was handing out candy sure, and exactly. keeping the home Someone fires had to burning. Be home, right. Right. Uh huh. I remember the houses that really did it up. Now. Right? Okay, so they're – but I don't mean like inflatables. Yeah. I mean Mrs. Skirta, who lived at the end of the street. Mrs. Bujakowski. Really? 
would she dress like Mrs. Skirta had like a cauldron mm-hmm. and uh, you know dry ice yep. and the whole thing and, g- and gave out something really good. Yes, we exactly. Had, Mrs. Budzikowski gave out caramel apples every year. Like oh, she, that made, she them. made. Yeah, that's that really was the first nice. stop. She was like the neighbor up the street. Oh, we're going to Mrs. Budzikowski before she runs out. That's really nice. Yeah. Now, how about the? Were there Christians on your street that kept all the lights out? Yeah. Yeah, mine too. Which, I mean, I get it. I, I do get, get right. it. It's a very complex issue. It is. And I'm not going to shame I know, anybody. I'm not, I don't want to shame anybody no, either. No, no, no. But from a kid's perspective, it was like, oh, well, you know. I understand. And I, I, it's a dark and ugly world out there. And, it is. And so for people to kind of go, I don't want to take part in that. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. But I it's also it. an opportunity to be light in a dark and brutal world. Yeah. And to be neighborly. Yeah. And to you know, be kind to the kids and dogs in your neighborhood yep. and, you know, all of that. Yeah. We had also a neighbor who, <laughs> as, as great as Mrs. Budzikowski was, we also had a neighbor who gave away <laughs> the pre-made popcorn balls. Listen, I was just <laughs> thinking before that came out of your mouth about the popcorn balls that this one <laughs> they were probably see, ma- there That's the worst tasting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was, I think I'd rather have the little dots on paper. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they were they, those popcorn balls were probably made in Taiwan in February <laughs> right. of the preceding year, right. and then they wrapped them in green cellophane, right. and they were delivered to your little greedy hands. I mean, we probably lost brain cells. <laughs> I mean, you those. knew all you had to do was take one bite and go, "Nope, never oh, again." Absolutely, not in my house. Forget it. Um, hey, Lex, did you have a candy that you absolutely like? You'd know I, I'm not eating this. It was usually um, Almond Joys. What? Yeah. Well, my dad really liked them. Yeah, the, the, and it's I, a dad the, tax. Yeah, it was the dad tax. And mm-hmm. also, I wasn't a big fan of them anyway, so it was like a win-win okay, for me. Okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. How about the little bottles of... Um, uh, the wax bottles. Yeah. That was so, that's, I love those that's so a much. stupid candy. No, it's a great candy. Oh, it's, it's like... Glick, that glick, is glick. so gross. Nope. What do they still make those? I don't know. Yeah, they do. Did, did you like them? Yeah, I like them. Yeah, me candy. too. Thank you. Okay, yeah. candy cigarettes. Yes oh, or yeah, no? Oh, yeah. Pro, pro, mm-hmm. pro candies. Um, what about the candy necklaces that we found out were like poisoned by the Chinese? Didn't matter. <laughs> so what? I'm going to eat them. <laughs> right? Um, least favorite uh, candy for me, I think, would be the uh, Zagnut. Yeah, that's rough. Which is a disgusting candy. Which is kind of sad because that was like Pittsburgh. It was. Well, yeah. it was, that, was that made by the Clark Company? Yes, it was. It was the sister to the Clark Bar. Well, that was gross. Mm-hmm. And the Mary Jane. Oh, I love a Mary Jane. Oh, because I have a sister named Mary Jane. So I was well, like, I mean, I like your sister very much. But that, no. no, that's fine. The little yellow wrapper with a little girl. It you kind uh, of chew. Like Tim a- uh, Hawkins. Remember Tim Hawkins? Yeah. You know what he said about the Mary mm-hmm. Jane? What? It it tastes like peanut butter and hair. <laughs> <laughs> that's that was very. Astute of him to label it. I like a mirror. I mean, if I if I had one right now, I'd eat it. Oh, they're disgusting. I don't think so. Oh my Mm -mm. gosh. Now, of course, the overriding people. You see this in your own kids. By far and away, the popular candy is uh, Snickers, Reese's, Reese's, peanut M and M's. Too many. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. I think those are. I think those are the big ones. And. The demise of the, that, you know, so-called fun size with shrinkflation, kids are like getting like, you know, a fingernail of candy. I mean, candy. that's ridiculous. Yeah. Did you, were you bold enough to go to other neighborhoods? Oh, no. What? Oh, You no. didn't venture out. That would have been frowned upon. By your family? Yes. Oh, we, 
We just, we ran it. We Where'd ran you it go? Everywhere. I mean, you know, there were like the two main streets where, you know, yeah. we lived. But then I'd go to, I mean, I was like a free agent. Let's go. Was so you were like going over into Edgewood? No, I mean, I'm going into other streets that, you know, like we're down the block or further, oh, a little okay. further away. You can't be too far away. But seriously, you reach that age of like 12, 13, 13 right. you're like you're getting to be, you know, you shouldn't be on the streets, you know, because you're pushing it. Yes. But then you go, I got all the stamina and all the willpower to be out here until like 930. And what were you wearing? Like something stupid, like your football jersey a as a uniform? Right. Oh, or, or as a costume, I mean. Uh, and sometimes not even, you know, dressed up. Just out with your buddies, just you know, with your pillowcase and trying to fill that baby up. Oh my! Happy Halloween, right? How about um, what were the orange things that your family liked? Circus Pe- peanuts. Circus peanuts. Oh yeah. Oh. A circus peanuts good. Oh, that's like that's like that's eating styrofoam. Yeah. Huh. Really? How about a jug? And it doesn't. We can't even talk about okay. that. You mean hugs? Hugs. Yeah. Hugs in the jug. Yeah. I don't think we should talk. About anyway, that. hope you get out there this evening yeah. and see your neighbors. And be part of the community. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon and welcome. It's the uh, 5 o'clock hour of the um, the Reformation Day edition of The Ride Home. It's also Halloween. It is Halloween as I well. Mean, I mean, <clears throat> I'm looking at the studio here. Uh, right across from me, Kath, she herself is in costume. And then beyond, Kathy uh, is Lexi. They're both in costume. <laughs> and you, John, are just... I'm just wearing my regular street clothes. Right? Lexi, like I told you, uh-huh. he's dressing up as a bad sport. Mm-hmm. He's dressing up as a square. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lexi's wearing a crown. Uh-huh. Oh, Kath, do you have your crown on? Uh-huh. Oh, good. She has her crown on. I didn't see that before. And you have no use of your hands, Kath. No, because uh, they're tentacles. And mm. What is that exactly? Is what? it a sea monster? What are you? I'm it's sorry. It's an octopus, John. Oh, yeah. oh sorry. It's blue. If, like if if I was in the water, you could see the, probably the right, right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's an octopus with a hood. I, the, the hood, yeah. Yeah, the hood. I mean, it has the eyes and right. the head on top. Oh, it is. I didn't, I didn't see that. Oh, yeah. Did you throw that up there so oh, we could yeah. see? Mm-hmm. Maybe take a photo for our audience. Oh, yeah. Oh, we'll there definitely. it is. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes it. It pulls it all together. Don't you think it does? Oh, tremendously so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. nice. Thank you. I just I I put my my hands in in the mitt portion because I don't want you to be distracted. No, I don't, of course. I don't take away from the totality of it the full effect mm-hmm. plans for this evening uh i'm having a halloween party John. oh you are mm-hmm. at your house yes really and how many people well it was it was it started out it was going to be like six mm-hmm. and now it's like 25 whoa so really a lot's happened in the last three days and at the same time you were giving out candy yes mm-hmm. to the small trick-or-treaters who will mm-hmm. join us what happens at a halloween party exactly uh, well, this Bobbing is what I did. Uh, I made homemade SpaghettiOs, John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is excellent. Um, uh, my daughter is making two different soups. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have rolls and butter. Mm-hmm. We have applesauce, cider, mm-hmm. and gingerbread. Very nice. Mm-hmm. And everyone will dress up? Well, it's not... It's not a costume party? It's not required for admittance. Mm-hmm. Your husband? But my husband will not ne- know. He will uh-huh. not be dressing up. <laughs> 
because he's a man of good sense. Right. He will not be. Um, but he'll still enjoy the festivities. He will. And he said today, he, he texted me early this morning saying he was eager to see what my costume was. He did not know. He did not. He didn't discuss that. It's a secret. Okay. I don't give that kind of thing away. Right. Because when I walked in the studio here earlier today, there you were. Right. You and Lex together. Mm-hmm. Shocking. See, the weird thing was, it used to be in the past, it was just you. Right. Now it's you and Lexi. That's called ganging up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, wherever you're out there this evening, mm-hmm. because uh, the sun is set and uh, the trick yes. treaters are about to embark, I hope that you're driving carefully, slowly, and uh, whatever your persuasion, you enjoy this evening, exactly. no matter what you choose to do. Mm-hmm. Right? My hope is that all of us go out and at least go and meet our neighbors. Yes. Go say hi to our neighbors mm-hmm. and yes. love on everybody's kids and tell them that they are doing a good job. Right. Okay. Reformation Day as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Any uh, strong feelings about Martin yeah. Luther? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think Martin Luther was incredibly gifted. Yes. Uh, Changed the course of history. Yes. Changed the course of history, used by God in a powerful way and imperfect. Yes. As we all are. Yes. He was imperfect. And I wonder if he, on this Hallowed Ease, would be dressing up. Uh, It's a good question. Mm -hmm. I do remember several years ago, though, you did dress up as his wife. Well, that was just like a last Katerina Luther. I was wearing a, a hoodie, and then I had a book in front of my face yeah. there. Mm-hmm. That was the one and only nod. Okay. Okay, Reformation Day. Um, the first Reformation Day, October 31st, 1517. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a long time ago. Uh, the word Halloween was first used in the 16th century, represents a Scottish variation of the fuller All Hallowed Eve evening, Okay. the night before All Hallows Day, okay. which evolved into... Halloween. Got Halloween. it. Mm-hmm. The Puritans maintained strong opposition to Halloween. It was not until the mass Irish and Scottish immigration during the 19th century that it was brought to North America. Did oh, you know yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And uh, while the historical date for the observance of Reformation Date is October 31st, most churches celebrate it when? Most churches celebrate it la- uh, Sunday, like on the 3rd or Sunday. on the twenty. 20- the first Sunday, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. The first Sunday in October. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Most I, churches. Oh, I thought most churches celebrated it the, the last Sunday of mm-hmm. October. I mean, your results may vary, right? Yeah. Uh, taking from the Irish and English tradition, Americans in the mid-1800s began to dress up in costume and uh, go to house to house asking for food and or money, a practice that eventually became today's trick-or-treat. I don't have money or food to hand out tonight other than candy, so I hope no one asks for that. There was a time in our old house, in our old neighborhood, Mm -hmm. when we ran out of candy, I was handing out money. Did you really do that? Yeah. Yeah. Because kids would show up, and I had like, so what I did was I went upstairs and got the loose change jar. Wow. uh, That's a good idea, know, That's pretty smart. Here's two quarters or something like that, so at least it didn't go away empty-handed. Okay. Otherwise, it would have been that or just dried spaghetti. (laughs) I do have a lot of pasta. Exactly. I could hand that out. Right, That's yeah, good. Yeah. I'm glad. You, mm-hmm. yeah. I could just tie it in a knot and just put like eight minutes on it or nine. Like just so they know. Have a guy. Well, you might. How many bags of candy do you have this evening? Four. And? You feel confident? I feel confident. Okay. But I'm I'm also terribly bad at um, preparing rice or pasta. What do you mean? As far as quantity. I either end oh. up with not enough for the group right. or like an obscenely gratuitous amount. Mm-hmm. So the SpaghettiOs that are, are waiting? Yeah, I, I, I quadrupled my recipe. Okay, you'll be fine. I think so, but there's a lot of people coming, John. All right. Well, happy Maybe they'll Halloween. bring some cheese. 
I don't know, 25 people this evening at mm-hmm. the Evans household. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let us take a quick break. When we come back. Pastor Jay Slocum is with us. Yeah, looking forward to He's talking to He's going to talk about a hammer. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, All Hallowed Eve's edition of the Ride Home here, where Pittsburgh's Christian Talk is 101.5 Word FM, WORD. Reverend Jay Slocum is with us. He's a rector at St. Thomas Anglican Church in Gibsonia. He's here to talk to us today about a hammer. Hey, Jay, a hammer is in your toolbox? Hey, John. Hey, Kathy. Great to be with you today. Yeah, really happy to have you. Okay, uh, reductionist thinking. Uh, You think that that's kind of what's surrounding us in society? Well, I think uh, it's one of the things that's surrounding us in society. Yeah, yeah there's probably a lot of things surrounding us. reductionistic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And say that reductionism <laughs> is the only thing surrounding us. That would make me one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've been I've been watching the what we've all been watching. You know, the the crisis in Israel and and the savagery of, Ham, of Hamas and and uh, some of the political analysts. And the stuff that's going on with college students. And, you know, it gets me thinking about how secular society seems to get trapped into what I would call reductionist thinking over and over again, which is similar to the old adage, uh, when you only have an, a hammer, you, you you end up thinking everything's a nail. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the pastor who's the baseball fanatic, and every single Sunday he gives you that. You know, <laughs> it's a home run, or you were caught between third and home base, or you know you struck out. And after a while, you know it just it just grinds down on you. you yeah, know? right. So. How does that look in society today? Because, you know, I'm glad you bring up Israel Hamas because it's such a fraught subject. You, you want to land on the side of, of goodness and strength and support Israel. But, man, I mean, the politics and the historical context of Hamas and Palestine, that's a deep story, Jay. Yeah, well, it's a deep story and it's a complex story, right? And so, I, you know, I think one of the main things that concerns me is is our pedagogy, right? So how are we how are we bringing up our kids? Are we bringing up our kids in an environment where you know, they see things as being complex or multidimensional. Um they're able to think inductively and deductively, they're able to use logic and reason, they're able to understand complex ideas. Not everything is, you know, 120 or whatever it is characters or has to come at you immediately or you can't understand it. And, uh, you know, I think that is really concerning when I hear folks um, address a very complex issue and they come at it from a very singular perspective. It, it reminds me of myself. I uh, became a Christian as a teen and, and went to a fundamentalist Baptist high school that was very singular about the literal interpretation of the Bible. And anything that was outside of that was described as secular humanism. Mm. Oh, really? So when I went to college, which, you know, is a whole other story. I shouldn't really have been let in, but they did let me in. And I would go naively to class. It was whether it was a sociology class or economics class or a philosophy class or an English literature class. And I'd find myself raising my hand if we were talking about rationalism or romanticism or the Nazi era or postmodernism or art critical theory or whatever it was. And I would raise my hand and I'd say, is that like secular humanism? <laughs> <laughs> and how that was received. 
Well, it was received very graciously because mm-hmm. I think my college professors were grateful that I was naive enough to be a student who would just raise his hand mm. yeah, and yeah. ask a question that sort of was embarrassing, but I didn't know. Sure. And so I would ask the question, and uh, they would be great gracious. They would say, well, you know, romanticism was all about the feelings, and it was a era during the Enlightenment when people were reacting to rationalism, which was all about trying to understand everything logically and create a system that could understand the world. And they were both part of a secular system that said God uh, didn't exist and man could solve his own problems. Wow. Okay. Well, there you go. You know, so incrementally, I began to, to learn to think and to see the world as a more complex mm-hmm. place. And I also began to see the Bible as something that was never reductionistic. The part of uh, Revelation where it says this calls for wisdom is, you know, in mm. reference to uh, the number of the beast. But I say that all the time, Jay. I say it out loud to my family. I say it to myself because I I agree with you. The longer that I've walked with God and read the Bible, the more I realize it's not it's not like a behavior checklist and it's not, you know, 10 rules for healthy living. It's just it's a it changes you in, in your mode of thinking and in your mode of prayer and all those sorts of things. And things actually seem more gray. And I don't want the, the audience to panic that I've lost my theology or, you know, that I am embracing universalism or whatever. But I just feel like a lot of issues are grayer than I used to think they were. Amen, Kathy. You know, I think the result of that is that when you are a Christian and you read the Bible, it becomes evident to you very quickly that you are a creature. And as such, you are limited. And what you're encountering in the Bible is a God who is beyond you. Mm. He has a toolbox that is far more than just a hammer, right? So he created the stars, and he created the galaxies, and he created subquantum physics, and he created the moral structure that gives us the Ten Commandments, and he created us in his image. And somehow he breathed his spirit in us and said that he was going to make us the ambassadors to have dominion over the earth and to name things. And so now we have a scenario where, well, We are responsible for property, but it's not ours, it's his. And we're responsible to others because he made us all equal and he told us that we have to care for one another. And on and on it goes, right? And so I think in that scenario as Christians, we are in a place of humility and contriteness where we say, you know, I have a God who's way bigger than me and I can't figure everything out Mm. and neither does he want me to he he created uh the scriptures with grayness and mystery doesn't mean there isn't reality and objective truth it just means that i'm not responsible for everything he is right and so in a world full of deep grays jay there is things that are elemental truths right there are things that are elemental truths. So, for instance, John and Kathy, you know, what strikes me about this savagery that's going on mm. with this terrorist group in Israel is, you know, it's very clear to me that they are acting pre-barbaric, right? 
there's yeah. just a level of yeah. disgust in this act that isn't following uh, what we call the rule of law. It's violating, you know, basic human rights. And there are rules that we've created around what constitutes war and what constitutes a sovereign nation being able to have the right to defend itself. And so when I look at this and I see, you know, college students, you know, saying essentially death to the Jews because there's, you know, there's been an apartheid state, um, it, it it's both not factual and reductionistic. Yeah. It just doesn't look at the thing and see some of the most basic stuff um, of human history. And, and so... I, I think that is what happens when when you get re, you reduce things down to one thing, um, it, you know whether it's I want my rights, which is essentially liberalism, or you know I want freedom from anything, which is libertarianism, or I want to be happy, which is utilitarianism, um, you know, or everything's a power. A power structure postmodernism, right? So we have these isms, and they tend to be a secular attempt to reduce things down to be explained and controlled and understood by us, but they almost always fail to see the complexity of the world because they've ditched God. Mm-hmm. They've ditched God. Yeah, so. I mean, what you're saying is so true. When you, uh, if you dare to go on Twitter and, or even look at a, a mass market uh, paper like the Washington Post or the New York Times, and you see an article about what's going on in Israel, and you look at the comment section, you want to jump out the window. I mean, it's just, oh, it's oh, reductionist yeah. thinking after reductionist thinking. It's like, it, you have to dig so far to find any opinion that even makes any sense or shows any nuance. Or, I mean, it is, it, I mean, what you're saying is absolutely right. Yeah, it's really, really troubling, right? Because this is what causes a society, you know, uh, to lose its liberties, right? I mean, Benjamin Franklin says, look, here it is. You got it. Yeah. If you can keep it, if you can keep it. Um, if you can keep it, depends upon you being able to make a reasoned argument with multifaceted uh, aspects to it. And uh, I would say, just you know, I'm not going to buy into the notion that Christians and Christianity is simplistic or that we're a bunch of you know knuckleheads. We're not. I mean, if you read the Bible, you and you take something, anything, even like justice, right? So in the Bible. Justice is something that we are responsible for individually, right? So God is going to—he's retributive. If you don't do what's right, you have to be punished. And justice is also restorative. God wants us to live in a certain way that brings shalom to the world. Mm -hmm. Well, that's complex. Not only that, uh, justice in the Scripture is individual and it's collective, right? So, you know— you, you have to take care of your neighbor, and sometimes you're in trouble because the whole nation did something wrong. And at the same time, the parable of Stuart says you're going to be judged based on how much you did, yeah. right? So that's very complex and, and multifaceted. And so, Jay, with all that, <laughs> what it is to be a believer in the public market today— what is the prescription that we let God's light shine and we ourselves aren't part of the problem? 
Well, I think that we are going to have to just settle into the fact that we're going to be a persecuted people. And if you give into, you know, the comment section of Facebook and you go down that that road of single-minded, you know, everything's a nail because you, your only argument is a hammer, you're not being light and salt to the world. And But if you give multi-tiered, complex arguments, you may not read that much. <laughs> you may not get that many likes. Uh, people will pass by you. Um, you know, how many people don't want to hear this conversation because it's too complicated? Yeah, yeah too much. I don't on. know. I mean, it's too much going on, right? I don't have time for that. Yeah. Pastor Jay Slocum, he's the rector at St. Thomas Anglican Church in Gibsonia. Jay, uh, a few minutes before you leave us, talk to us about uh, the work in the church. Uh, St. Thomas Anglican Church in Gibsonia is a great church. Uh, we uh, meet every Sunday at 8 a.m. We have a 9 o'clock adult ed hour, and we meet at 1015. Uh, we're a liturgical church in the Reformed tradition, have communion every week, love Jesus, love the Bible love the community, would love anybody who wants to find a church that doesn't have one, come and see us. Amen. Sounds great. Always a pleasure, Jay. Thanks so much for your truth and uh, trying to delve into difficult subjects in a very clear manner. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Bye-bye. Jay Slocum, the rector at St. Thomas Anglican Church in Gibsonia. All right, coming up next. Does this make sense? Does what make sense? What makes sense? Adults dressing up for Halloween. Well, I was going to say the same thing. No, that's never happened. I know. That so, is ne- in the history of Does This Make Sense? I was going to say the exact same thing. We have never Mm-mm. picked the same thing, no, ever. That was mine. <laughs> well, clearly it's All right, a well, hot let's get at it, okay, John. All right, that's fine. Because I'm talking to you from an octopus outfit. Yes, you are. And I'm talking to you in street clothes. Uh-huh. Wait, so I'm, here wait, it I'm is. Gonna, wait, let me put my hood up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now. It's October 31st. Mm, yeah, it is. Cast dressed as an octopus. It's a teal blue octopus. I've got, I'm pulling the tentacles mm-hmm. up over the desktop seat just to give it full. the full effect. Yeah. Just over Kathy's shoulder is Lexi, dressed as a princess, wearing a crown. Kind of like a medieval, I would mm-hmm. say, medieval princess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, seriously. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That's what I'm asking you. Yeah. Yes, it does, John. I in say every it does not. way, shape, or nope, form. No, nope, not in the least. See, it, my emotional visceral, re, visceral reaction is mm-hmm. two things. Yeah. I get shy. Like, I get a little shy about it. Like, like you don't want to look at me because it's a little yes, overwhelming. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed yeah. that. Uh, yeah, I get a little shy mm-hmm. about yeah. it. Yeah. And then I Because you're kind of embarrassed for me. That's exactly yep. it. Uh-huh. Those two I can things tell. together. Sadly. I'm and, shy. And, and, and Lexi, I'm not embarrassed for me or you. But when you're walking around today, don't yeah. you think people had the same reaction that I had? No, I think people were laughing and they saying, were. wow, they were. look at what is she going as? Because it's Halloween. And you know why it makes mm. sense, John? Tell me why. Because I- it's a serious world. And so any opportunity for frivolity should be embraced. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. And, and I, I do applaud your boldness. Thank you. For both of you. Thank you. And uh, 
I feel like it's I'm bringing a little bit of levity mm-hmm. wherever I go today. I can't help but feel what I'm feeling here. Mm-hmm. I know feelings aren't facts. No, they're not. This is just what I feel towards. I knew the day was coming. We do this every year yeah. where you show up and I go, oh boy. I just, and I'm not trying to be like some old curmudgeon. Yeah. Uh huh. But I just get a little shy and kind of embarrassed. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, it's it's just, it's difficult for me that you can't enter in. But I think maybe just your reticence just highlights (laughs) the outgoing nature of my costume even more. So tonight you're having a costume party. Yes. Yes, I am. The bold of you will appear in costume. Yes. And it will make sense to them. Because you know why? At heart, I think the humankind, the human that's open, it makes sense to. In that room, I'd be fine with it. I think just kind of walking around in in the world, it doesn't make sense. In the workplace, you mean? Yes, yeah, that's Mm, all. It's too bad. It doesn't make sense. Power, 
power, glory are yours forever. Amen. Forever. Amen. That's Daniel Snoke. Well, that's terrific. I love it. I love it. Daniel's a musician, an educator, a coach, and a worship leader. Um, But today he's uh, here in studio with us. And I love that. I'll tell you right off the bat what I love about that is when... um, when we do the Lord's Prayer in church, mm-hmm. and by and do is the is the uh, I've chosen that verb on purpose. Is I feel like it goes so fast I can't possibly mean it. Right. I cannot possibly mean it, nor can I even get in my head the enormity of what I'm saying. But that putting it in a song and the way you've done it, it kind of helps me to do that. Right. Song song slows you down. Yeah. You know, we don't think about that because there's a tempo and it, it, your heart sometimes goes faster when you're singing, but you speak a lot faster than you sing. Yeah, for right? sure. Yeah. And there's so much packed in the Lord's Prayer. Every line, sometimes even sometimes every word, I mean, like there's books been written on, on our, daily bread. Yeah. Right. Or right. our father. Right? <laughs> yeah. right. Not just my father. Right. Right. So, so there's, yeah, it's packed, packed full of stuff. Wow. This song, Daniel, uh, um, an outgrowing of your work at Grove City and the Coalition for Christian Outreach, and this song and City from an too. album. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. So I, um, so I lead worship in lots of different kind of contexts, and one of the things that I always want more of is scripture in worship. Mm-hmm. So thinking about scripture, yep. not just as um, kind of the content of worship, but the worship itself. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, you know, a lot of services and I'm guilty of this a lot of times, too, is we read a little text and then we talk about it for 30 minutes. Right. Right. Or we might we might read part of a psalm to open the service and then that's it. Right. But what I like to do um, and what I've been trying to work into a lot of my work is reading scripture as worship. Hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Scripture speaks on its own. It's good to have sermons. It's good to talk about it, but having services that are just packed full of scripture. Um, so, that. Lord's Prayer is one way that I can do that. Um, my my record that I just came out with um, has a lot of scripture songs, a lot of songs that walk through a psalm or just take a little chunk of scripture and do it in a repetitive but meaningful way. Uh, like that. Okay, so yeah. repetitive and meaningful. Already you've gotten people who are upset. <laughs> right, on <laughs> both sides. Right, exactly, because yeah. there's not enough content. Uh, don't you have anything else to say? How <laughs> dare you. Uh, so, uh, so talk about this way that you are thinking uh, of leading worship and thinking about it. Um, so there's one, there's an old form of prayer um, called the Lectio Divina that you, I'm sure you yeah, are sure. both aware of and maybe even talked about here on this mm-hmm, show before. Um, very old form prayer from comes from the monastic movement, you know, from the 400s or something like that. Um, and it simply says, it, uh, Lecture Divina just means divine reading. So it approaches, it has this idea that scripture is worship. And so it, there's four movements, right? You read it with a thankful heart. You contemplate it, right? You think about the meaning of it. You pray from it with your own words, and then you contemplate it. And and people, I think that's the one that people um, struggle with the most. But contemplation is just like this fixed, loving gaze, right? Mm-hmm. So we look at scripture not just with the intent to to master it, 
uh, but to love it and to receive it and to use it in a worshipful, mm-hmm. uh, kind of affectionate. It washes way. over us, right? Very yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah. So the album out now. It is. Yeah. So I, uh, it came in um, September, end of September. Um, and then I'm actually just playing a CD or a, I shouldn't say CD, people don't see CDs, <laughs> album release right. uh, at Grove City tomorrow. Oh, great. Um, and then I'm doing one here in Pittsburgh um, on December 1st at City Reformed. Oh, that's mm-hmm. awesome. The yeah. name of the project? Forever Amen. So it comes from that. That song? Yeah, from that song. So it's, it's sort of like a title track. It doesn't you know have the same yeah. title exactly, but same theme. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about Grove City. Or City Reformed, where you're doing this, you're providing a basis, received uh, how? A, a younger audience? Are right, they a right. little uh, off-kilter with it? Talk about that. So I, I, uh, this is my third year at Grove City College yeah. in the chapel program. And uh, when I first got there, they were overhauling the whole chapel program. Mm. Um, and so it used to be shorter um, earlier in the morning. Now it's a little bit longer. It's about 45 minutes twice a week. Um, and Fridays, um, this is not nothing to do with my album, but I'll get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fridays, we have a whole bunch of different options for chapel credit. Um, and one of them is a prayer service in the chapel. And I was given that as kind of my, you know, I was a new employee and they said, this Take is it. yours. Take it. Run with it. It's cool. um, and so I thought through, you know, how do I want students to pray? Um, how do I want students to sing? Because I think a lot of times when, when people think about worship, they mean just a bunch of songs. Sure. Right? Or they think about... There's the preaching and right, the worship, which right, means the music. Right. And depending on what tradition you come from, when you think about prayer, you might think just a bunch of written prayers or um, kind of a a formless time together to offer prayer together. Right? Yeah. And both are good, but prayer is so much bigger than just one of those two things. And so I realized that I really wanted to have prayer be formed from Scripture. And so I introduced this idea of Lectio Divina, which is usually more of a personal way of yeah. praying. Um, and I I experimented that first semester. I was like, can I turn this into a corporate thing, mm-hmm. not just an individual thing? And the, the students love it. Oh, that's And honestly, so I'm, I'm sad at the end of every semester because then I miss it, you know, the rest of the summer. Hmm. But we, um, so oftentimes we'll sing the scripture um, as part of one of those four. Um, but we'll have songs, we'll have prayer, either extemporaneous or written. Um, and again, I asked students who are helping me lead. Um, and in fact, sometimes uh, KR. Yeah. Uh, your daughter. Da- yeah. yeah. Uh, she helps me out. And um, I'll, t- I'll give them a couple verses from the scripture. And I'll say, use this to inform your prayer. And let's pray from the scripture. Mm. Um, but another way we'll do this is I, part of the album that I wrote is uh, has a lot of songs that, again, short, repetitive, but meaningful. And by that, I mean songs that can be used for the reading of scripture. Right. So um, a lot of times we think about music as just a standalone unit in a service where it's just a bunch of singing, right? right? And then, then it's over to and something else happens, sure. right? But if you look, especially historically, music has always been more integrated into the service than just here's a three and a half minute song, mm-hmm. right? Or today, maybe a 10 minute song. Um, and so what I've been doing is we'll sing a you know verse or a, a refrain and then the band will just pull back 
but they're still keeping that worshipful attitude musically and we'll read part of the passage again, mm-hmm. right? So through a service, we read the scripture four times. Um, and we, we could do it right now if you want. I could uh, I could do a piece. Yeah. let's. You know what? Let's take a break. All right. And how about we come back and, and do that? Sure. Very on nice. the other side. Yeah. Daniel Snook is with us. We're talking about worship through music, Lecto Divina. Stay with us. It's the ride home. It's First Christian Talk on Word FM. We're back with Daniel Snoke, musician, educator, coach, and worship leader. We've been talking about Lectio Divina, um, which is just a, a different way of approaching the scripture and interacting with it. Um, there's nothing mystical or weird about it. You don't have to be afraid. Um, but I think, in my experience, it's just been a way to really honor the scripture mm-hmm. and just kind of submit ourselves and to it. And slow down, like you're and saying. And slow down. Slow down. Uh, which yeah. I have such a hard time with. Yeah. So anyway, so, okay. Hey, let's, I'm, I'll do, we'll do a little... Uh, Experiment here, okay, I'm ready. right here on the radio. So I'll I'll play one of the songs we sang at Grove City in this kind of lecture divina uh, from my from my new record, and then uh, you have Psalm 96 there. Yep. I'm gonna pause just like a little instrumental. You read a couple of verses, however you feel like, and then I'll keep singing, and then you'll do it again. We'll go. Kind of, I'll kind of coach I us love through it. it. Okay. Give you a little idea of what we do. And your call we follow. In your name we worship in our doubting hearts be glorified all authority is mine therefore go baptize all the world and teach them my word my Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I am with you. Go ahead and read. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Go back and sing the beginning. At your call we follow. In your name we worship. In our doubting hearts be glorified. And you might read again. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the nations are idols but the lord made the heavens all authority is mine therefore go baptize all the world and teach them my word my father son and Yeah. I love it. And we kind of go back and forth until yeah, this passage is done. Yeah. And see how there's, so I, the that song is the Great Commission. Yeah. Right? But you compare New Testament scripture with Old Old Testament stuff, right? That Psalm 96 is all about the nations right. coming and worshiping. What better to pair it with the Great Commission 
where it says, go therefore, and then you have the psalm saying, awesome. nations come and worship. I love that. Right? So we might do that for a little bit, and then we'll read the psalm again, but using our own just kind of extemporaneous prayers, praying from the scripture. And so in this way, right, you have scripture just saturating worship, and it's not, um, it's not weird and mystical, it's not overly liturgical, but it has freedom and breath at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's been really meaningful for us. So while that was going on, I, I just wanted my, my eyes closed mm-hmm. and have that wash over me. Mm-hmm. The two of you working in tandem yeah. with scripture in music and in word. Fabulous. Boy, I love that, Daniel. I really do. I think that for all of our um, difficulty in attention right now and, you know, people struggling with having a quote unquote quiet time or (laughs) I just don't read enough or I just don't whatever. Um, The angst. Yeah. And the angst of all that and the over digitalization of life. Right. Being able to really invest yourself. And like John said, kind of let that wash over you. I think that could be really transformative. Mm-hmm. And for me, too, this is, you know, I'm, I'm reformed, right? I'm, I'm a good Presbyterian. Part of this for me is, is trying to reclaim what we call the means of grace in worship, right? Word, sacrament, and prayer. So as a reformed person, you'd say those three things are, are worship, right? When we gather together, that's what corporate worship is all about. Word, sacrament, and prayer. And so, of course, we don't do the sacraments, right, at a college, um, but we can use scripture, not just, again, for sermons, but as influencing and saturating our entire service and informing our prayer. And so for me, this, it's this kind of return to reformed roots as well. Yeah, and a holistic it, yeah. look at the whole thing. Right. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. That's really good. Daniel, people are listening to you right now, and they're interested. Um, you said yes. Uh, you said tomorrow there's a, a release party um, this evening as well. There's something going on, and of course, on your website. Of course, yeah, DanielSnoke.com. Um, you know, there's some links to my music, all sorts of different projects there. Um, chord sheets for songs, free, I should say, free chord sheets, um, and then uh, also just some training documents, some things that I've been writing. Uh, for training and coaching as well. Fabulous. Yeah. Snoke, S-N-O-K-E. That's right. Yeah. If if you're a Star Wars fan, then (laughs) you got it. (laughs) All right. So so as we leave, we maybe have, I don't know, 30 seconds left or so. Um, For people who feel like they... don't have a chance, don't have space in their life for this type of prayer or Mm -hmm. worship, what would you say? Oh, man. I would say one verse. Right, this the, yeah. the Lectio Divina works with one verse, and you don't have to sing. Right, you can you memorize one verse as you're driving to work or whatever you do, doing your dishes, you know, doing a dirty diaper. Um, mm-hmm. Recite that verse with a with an attitude of thankfulness. Right, think about what that verse means, pray from that verse, and then just again have this loving, fixed gaze at God through that verse. That's super simple. That's right? fabulous. Daniel, thanks so much. DanielSnoke.com and Lecto Divino. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.